Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 14. We have the whole gang here this week. Uh, we also have a special guest, Amrita Satapati, who is a principal program manager in the Azure security team. Uh, but before we get to Amrita, let's go through the news. Uh, I'll kick it off. So first on the news that sort of caught my interest this week, uh, we have a new addition to the Azure Key Vault family. We now have Azure Key Vault Managed HSM. It's in public preview. Uh, that kind of brings our uh, sort of list of family members to three. We have Azure Key Vault. Um, now we have this managed HSM, and we also have another one called Dedicated HSM, which has been around for some time. The nice thing about the managed HSM is that it is basically a single tenant, highly available, fully managed uh, Azure Key Vault, has the same APIs as Azure Key Vault. Uh, unlike the dedicated HSM, which actually has its own APIs, uh, this has the same REST APIs that you, you, know, you know and love, uh, which also means that you can use it with other services in Azure, such as a SQL Server for um, always encrypted or transparent data encryption. The other bit of news that caught my attention was Azure Data Lake Storage uh, now has immutable storage and preview. This has existed in other types of storage, uh, but now it's in Data Lake Storage. So immutable storage is basically the ability to store kind of write once, read many logs, for example, uh, very commonly used you know, for log files. Um, lawyers sometimes use them or legal entities use them as well for storing documents. They may say, you know, I want a document to be under uh, immutable storage, can't be deleted, say, for 90 days or something like that. So you can put a lock on the storage. Uh, really cool to see that. Yeah, again, it's been available in other types of storage account, but it's fantastic to see it available um, in ADLS. All right, Sarah, so what do you have? Hello again, seeing as we're recording at a time that's not the middle of the night for me. So hello, everyone. I'm back. I'm going to talk about some stuff um, that's new in Azure Security Center. Now, just a quick reminder, if you either uh, have forgotten, because uh, we have changed some names of things. So Azure Security Center is what was known as Azure Security Center Basic, and Azure um, Azure Defender is now Azure Security Center Standard. Just going to throw that out there because we've changed some names and it's always really important to remember your, uh, uh, well, whilst we all get used to them, it's always really important to remember that. So there's a ton of things um, when we will have, uh, a, again, I'm not going to go through all of them just because of time. Uh, there's a ton of new stuff in Security Center. Firstly, it looks different. So go and have a look because it's all been refreshed and it has a nice, pretty UI. And then the other thing, of course, is um, this. the other main thing is this Azure Defender calling our threat protection Azure Defender rather than Azure Security Center standard. So, I mean, we're updating the documentation. Hopefully most stuff is done, um, but I think it's important to mention it. So um, if you see one or the other names, you know what we're talking about. So uh, uh, yeah. And, Although um, some people may be eye rolling that we're changing names, using Azure Defender is actually going to standardize a lot of the names. So it probably makes sense, but I know name changes can be a little bit painful. Um, so within Azure Defender, we now have Azure Defender for servers, um, Azure Defender for app service, Azure Defender for storage, Azure Defender for SQL, Azure Defender for IoT, Azure Defender for Key Vault, Azure Defender for Kubernetes, and Azure Defender for container registries, which all kind of roll up into Azure Defender. That's always one I like to mention because name changes do 
confuse people for a little bit. Um, the other one I wanted to talk about is um, we've improved our, net, our NSG or network security group recommendations. So um, this uh, was part of a security center before, but um, what it does is it has a look at the traffic in your NSGs that's passing between them and will actually it will actually give you recommendations about which ports you need open and which ones you have shut, which is going towards that whole zero trust thing. Of course, with everything, there are sometimes some false positives. So we've improved that. Um, and we now have a Kubernetes workload protection recommendation bundle. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful, but what it means is that you will get all the um, different bits of security recommendations for AKS. Um, so you'll get your uh, policy add-on. Um, we will actually look at every request to the Kubernetes API server, and it's going to be monitored against our predefined set of base practices. Um, and then you can also configure these to enforce them or just um, audit them depending on what, what you want to do. So yeah, that's a very cool one. Um, as we know, containers and Kubernetes is a hot topic, and we're always expanding our support for them. Um, there's also a ton of other cool things. In fact, I'm going to mention one more just because I just remembered. The vulnerability assessment findings, uh, which is something that's been around for a while, you can now continually export them using Event Hub to somewhere different, which is really cool because it means you can put them in a seam. Um, please use, I'd love you to use Azure Sentinel, but if you don't, and that's also fine, you can still integrate it to another seam. Um, you can send it to dashboarding things, so maybe Power BI, um, or maybe you just want to put it in Data Explorer. But this is a really, really cool thing. That um, So all these uh, vulnerability assessment findings can now be exported to other places so you can integrate them into a nicer view of things. So, yeah, I'm going to stop there with my uh, just loving on Security Center today. But um, yeah, lots of cool things. Go check out the link because there's more. I only picked a few to talk about. Hey, Sarah, before we switch, I was glad you reminded me of something um, when he said Power BI. Hey, Power BI, um, private link, private endpoint is now in private preview. Just stop and think about that for a minute. That is really, really cool. Um, so yeah, everyone. So um, I'll send. It, I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, it's not in our notes, uh, but yeah. So Power BI is in private is in private preview for private link, private endpoint support, and that is really cool. When you've got say, you know, a database that supports private link, private endpoint, you know, a PaaS database, you can now stay all sort of nicely contained, all within the same sort of private network. So Gladys, what else? Uh, what else do you have? Well, first, I I, I wasn't aware that Azure Security Center uh, name was uh, kept um, for the basic. Is it the basic or the free one? Um, so so it was interesting to hear that. Yes, I know it's a little bit confusing, eh? But yeah, Azure Security Center does still exist. Awesome. So um, I, I was really excited uh, about several blogs that I, I read um, uh, this past week. Uh, the first one was about uh, best practices for defending um, Azure uh, virtual machines. And, and most of the pract uh, practices discussed in the blogs are the normal ones, uh, use secure score, isolate ports, or use services that reduce the internet ports uh, exposure. Uh, such as uh, just-in-time and Azure uh, NAT gateway. 
Uh, but I think the most important that a lot of um, customers uh, forget is enabling the backup services. Uh, um, just because you migrate uh, to um, the cloud doesn't mean that it automatically backs up uh, the virtual machine. So it is important to remember to do this. The next uh, blog that I was really excited about um, is uh, the 10 best practices for Azure security. And the reason for this is because the first five recommendation of these blogs is about people and processes. Um, uh, what, what I uh, discover working with different organizations is that mostly uh, organizations want to modernize and they think, oh, all that we have to do is uh, uh, modernize our technology solutions. But they don't think that um, processes and policies are the ones that actually dictate how, when, uh, the desired outcome uh, from those services uh, using the organization. Um, for example, I had a customer that was moving toward the clouds, uh, but their policy uh, used to say that they must use a particular on-premise tool to provide some capabilities. Well, the employees were a little bit leery using the cloud services because the policy said, no, you should be using this. So uh, organizations and leadership must uh, remember to also modernize the processes in order to enable the operationalization of these uh, uh, services. Another thing that um, organizations need to take into consideration when when um, implementing these services is that the interconnection and the interoperation capabilities allow the collaboration of many different groups um, using the same infrastructure. And this is important because in legacy environments, each teams usually um, had their own dedicated and disconnected system that focused in just a particular task and now with the new services, new cloud services, now you have the capability to communicate different tasks. Basically different groups can share this information to perform their work. So it is important that all the teams are aware of the art of the possible provided by these new services. Mark? Thanks Gladys. So yeah, I, I, I definitely, I want to add a little commentary to the naming thing because I'm feeling that quote unquote short term pain of that because I uh, most folks probably know, but I maintain the Microsoft cyber reference architecture and some derived ones around um, uh, security operations, zero trust user access and a few others. Um, so I'm working on the update for that and man, there's a lot of places to change names. Um, but the, the thing I really like about this and it is worth it because everything is so much more consistent and clear. Um, there's definitely, it's definitely not a perfect set of names, but it is a lot better. So I'm, 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 I'm paying the price, but I'm looking forward to the, to the outcome. So the things that, um, the things I've been focusing on this, this, uh, this past little bit have been very, a little bit of technical stuff, kind of going through some of our Azure Architecture Center, making sure that the, the security is referenced in the right places on some of the most popular sites. And we're kind of going through those architectures and making sure all the right security elements are integrated into it. So spending some time doing that, coordinating some of our uh, technical experts to also help out. Um, and the other pieces that I've been working on um, are very business focused actually. So um, I uh, co-authored a blog with uh, Sarah Armstrong-Smith. Um, we had a great time writing it. 
Um, and it's, it's the first of a series actually, where we're really trying to help build a bridge between um, security, um, mostly at the leadership level, but really uh, for everyone, um, and the business um, or the, the organizational leadership in the case of you know, nonprofits and governments and whatnot. Um, and so it's really important to sort of have that connection at the mission level because security has always been sort of this adversarial um, kind of, uh, you know, had this adversarial relationship with the organizational leadership and kind of a quality uh, type of approach where it, security folks really need to be thinking of themselves as enablers of the organization, not about saying no, but how do I say yes to get as safe as possible while still allowing the mission to go forward, the business to make money, et cetera. And so um, really focusing on different perspectives on that. What does this look like from a CISO or security director's point of view? What does this look like from a business leader, like a CEO or a line of business owner, et cetera? And how, how do you go through and, and wrestle with this cyber risk piece and bring it into um, and bring it into your normal risk management framework. So really having a lot of uh, fun doing that and, and kind of helping bring clarity to that space. And then um, I also helped out and we just released um, some videos that I, I kind of like. They are definitely product placement videos in terms of this is you know how Microsoft um, security would help you kind of in a particular situation. But we worked with our Dart team and a number of others to make sure that the scripts for these videos were really on par with what our customers are facing you know, phishing, ransomware, credential theft, um, the, the extortion aspects of ransomware, um, you know, which are very business savvy and sophisticated now. Um, and then they, they did some really high production quality stuff, great actors, and, and the storylines came across really nice. Um, so we've got a link to those in there as well. Great way to sort of educate your, um, you know, your business leaders and, and partners within the organization um, on how kind of these things really work and how they play out in a realistic scenario. So um, loving those. Um, and then uh, you mentioned the, the, the top 10. Um, the slides for those, um, including the, the talk track and the talking points, will be released sometime between the recording of this podcast and the publishing of it. So uh, the link that, uh, that will provide will be live, um, fresh, that has all of those slides. So I'll be uh, racing Michael for the, uh, <laughs> for the release of the podcast versus the, uh, the slide link. All right. Hey, thanks, everyone, for the news. You know, it's interesting. Um, when we first started this podcast, I was kind of concerned that we, we wouldn't have enough security news on Azure, uh, even though we were doing it every couple of weeks. Um, but there always seems to be plenty of good, solid you know, news around security, both in terms of features that we have in the product, um, you know, services that are coming on board, but also supporting material um, sort of around those uh, uh, those technologies as well. So with that, let me change uh, let me change tax. I'd like to introduce our guest this week. Our guest this week is Amrita Satapati. She is a principal program manager in the Azure security team, and she's here to talk to us this week about the Azure security benchmark. So with that, Amrita, welcome. And uh, we'd like to just spend a couple of moments explain to our listeners who you are and what you do and how long you've been at Microsoft. Hi, Michael. Thanks for inviting me. I'm a principal program manager in Azure security team, and I drive the benchmark effort across all Azure product teams. Uh, I have been in Microsoft for 15 years and mostly worked on Azure Active Directory and Azure Security. Cool. Welcome, Amrit. I know uh, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a while, so really, really uh, happy to have you here. Um, and uh, for the record, uh, Amrit and I think I've, I've spent I can't. I don't even know how many hours we spent getting the version two of the benchmarks uh, ready. So, um, so for our audience, uh, Amrita, tell us what what the Azure Security benchmarks are, and you know, kind of what they entail and what they're all about. 
The Edu Security Benchmark is a collection of high impact security recommendations. Today it's based on CIS and NIST control framework. And the main goal of the benchmark is to help our customers to meet these controls in Azure. So if you look into the benchmark, it has two key components. Number one is the benchmark controls. Today we have 11 security controls such as uh, network security, identity management, data protection, and so on. And each control consists of set of recommendations. So when you dive into each of the recommendation, it shows which CIS and NIST control IDs it maps to. And it also provides prescriptive guidance on how you can meet those controls as part of those recommendation. So that was the part one. And the second key component is the security baselines itself. So what we did using the benchmark controls as a framework, we have developed security baselines for each Azure service. For example, if you're using Azure Databricks, it tells you the baseline will tell you like uh, what are the uh, Databricks feature available and how you can leverage it and configure it to meet the control requirement. You can find a lot of details about uh, the benchmark and the baselines if you go to our documentation, which you can go by AKMS uh, benchmark docs. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about those service specific uh, baselines. Like how are how are organizations actually using them kind of in their in their workflows for, for Azure security? Got it. Uh, so today, as you know, a lot of enterprise customers are onboarding to Azure, right? So when you see most of these customers, they go through a service assessment process. What they usually do, they bring their control framework and then they evaluate each of the Azure service. And based on the result, they decide whether to approve that service for their organization or not. And if you look into it today, this is a very tedious and cumbersome process. So now with these baselines, uh, customers are using uh, these baselines to understand what is the security posture of the service, what kind of capabilities it has, and how they can leverage it to meet the control requirements. So, and this is basically making their life much easier. And this is uh, highly used by our customers today. And this helps us uh, accelerating their cloud adoption journey. Yeah, the, the other thing that, that I see is that, you know, the combination of that baseline guidance, which customers have been craving for a long time, um, plus the uh, sort of the Azure Defender can help you, all the things that Sarah mentioned earlier, Azure Defender for Kubernetes and, and, and the like, um, all of those things really sort of make customers much more comfortable, especially when you look at the secure score aspects of it, with saying, I feel like I've got good visibility and control on these services, um, you know, high quality detections and configuration. So I've definitely seen that uh, that uh, at play with our customers. Is this used by Microsoft internally? Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, we are using internally in our division as well as our IT division. They are using these baselines. Uh, and also not just using these baselines, every Azure service is working on enriching these baselines and benchmark. For example, uh, each service is now working on publishing their own baseline for their service so that customers can easily configure uh, this, their service securely. Second, uh, the service teams are looking into the benchmark and seeing that what are the features missing? For example, uh, a private link, like which is necessary to meet the private network requirement, or simply like a customer managed key, if, which is necessary for data protection requirement. Uh, similarly, like Azure policies, uh, if they ha already have like for monitoring and enforcing the benchmark. So they are looking into all these features and if they find a gap, they're going and implementing it. So can you talk a bit about how organizations can monitor these configurations? That's a great question. Uh, benchmark documentation that's really useful for customers. 
But the really real value of benchmark comes uh, when you can monitor your environment against the benchmark requirement, find the gaps and then remediate it. So today what we have done, we have enabled uh, the benchmark monitoring in Azure Security Center. If you're familiar with the uh, Azure Security Center regulatory compliance dashboard, uh, now you can go over there and basically enable the ASP initiative so that it can start uh, continuous monitoring. Uh, so that's what we have today, but in upcoming months, we are also working on a new streamlined user experience where basically benchmark monitoring will be enabled by default so that you don't have to follow these manual steps. So can you talk a little bit about what changed in the, in the V2? Because that was a pretty major, uh, major release. That's right. We recently announced the benchmark V2 during Ignite, and the key changes were uh, number one, we expanded our control set to include at least 853 controls. Uh, second, uh, if you're familiar with Azure Security Compass, uh, Mark, you are. So uh, basically what we did, we looked into the recommendations and now all the Compass recommendations are included in ASB, uh, the security benchmark. Uh, third, we restructured our controls and it made it more actionable. And fourth, basically, we added a security stakeholder information to each of the recommendation that tells uh, who should you involve from your organization while making decision about the specific recommendation. Yeah, and I, I think customers will appreciate that um, significantly because it's, it's sometimes it's great to hear the best practice in sort of an academic way. But like, okay, so who do I need to pull together to do this when you're like 10, 15, 17, 28 settings in? people just sort of lose that ability to to do that. And so I, I'm, I'm, that sounds awesome. So um, what's next for the ASB effort? Like uh, what are what are the priorities on the list? Oh, we have a lot of new capabilities coming up. Uh, let me start with uh, number one, we're ex extending our benchmark controls to include more control frameworks like uh, PCI, SOC, uh, NIST cybersecurity framework, and so on. Uh, second, we're uh, exploring into how to map uh, the benchmark into MITRE attack framework, and this is one of the highly asked uh, requests from our customers. Uh, third, we're working on a blueprint. Uh, so today, like you can monitor the benchmark requirement, but with blueprint now customers can enforce the benchmark requirement. Basically, they can start secure and stay secure, uh, which will be coming by end of this year. And also we're adding some new features to the security center. For example, the one I talked about, the default user experience, which will be coming up next month. And also we're adding a new cool feature, which is a manual attestation. So let's say you are monitoring the benchmark and you realize that some of the recommendations are not applicable for your environment. Then in that case, you can go and do a manual attestation saying that this is not applicable so that it will show as green in your environment. So yeah, these are the few features like coming up very soon. Very cool. I know that that one about, hey, I don't want to look bad in front of my boss one is definitely uh, definitely something I've heard a, a number of times. So um, so obviously this is a plan in motion. This is things that are uh, continuing to develop. Like how can customers actually uh, provide feedback on, hey, this is working, this isn't working. Um, is, it, is there a way to do that? Oh, definitely. Uh, customers can reach out to us by sending email. Uh, our email address is benchmarkfeedback at uh, microsoft.com. And uh, not just provide feedback. Uh, if somebody is interested to work actively with us, then uh, in the for the next version of the benchmark, uh, they can reach out to us too. So what other government requirements are you working on? 
Uh, that's a great question. So today when we did the uh, NIST control mapping, we did the NIST 853 moderate. Uh, we took those controls and uh, mapped to benchmark. Uh, but one of the uh, asked from the government customers is about how to map the NIST 853 high. And that's on our roadmap and we'll be working soon on that. Hey, Amrita, so one thing that we ask our guests is if you had just one thought, one idea to leave with our listeners, uh, what would it be? So uh, if you're looking into how to meet the security control requirements in Azure, then uh, navigate to our documentation, which is AKMS benchmark docs and review our uh, documents. And also if, you're, uh, if you are a, a security center user, then uh, just go to the regulatory compliance dashboard and enable the monitoring of benchmarks so that you can find out the gaps and then can go fix it. Okay, well, look, hey, thank you so much, Amrita, for joining us this week. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know our listeners did as well. I know I learned a couple of things. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate you also taking the time to listen to the podcast. Uh, everyone stay safe out there and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.